Hello and welcome to a new series of short WRI podcasts looking at why COP26 matters for different issues. I'm Nicholas Walton and in this episode we're looking at COP and food and land use. We will not be able to achieve a 1.5 degree world if we don't urgently transform our global food and land use systems. You're listening to WRI's COP26 Shorts podcast. Here's the Programme Director of the Food and Land Use Coalition, Morgan Gillespie. It is crucial that the connection between the climate crisis and the food and land use sector is made very clear. Agriculture, food systems, land use changes are great emitters of greenhouse gases. That's the bare bones of it. They contribute to climate change, but at the same time, our land systems, our food systems are vulnerable to climate change. Now, more than a quarter of global greenhouse gas emissions come from net land use change in agriculture. This is driven by our food systems that are currently operating beyond planetary boundaries. They're depleting our natural systems. Climate change is having us experience increased frequency, intensity, and impacts of storms, of drought, of extreme weather, and that's affecting yields and working conditions. Now, a little bit on the science. There's three main natural systems that are capable of storing carbon and nitrogen, which are two of the main greenhouse gases. These systems that store this are known as stocks or pools, and they include the land ecosystem, the ocean, and the Earth's crust. When a stock emits more greenhouse gases than it can sequester, it becomes a carbon source with a carbon outflow that is higher than the carbon removals. And this is important because forests, tropical forests in particular, are the largest terrestrial carbon sinks. But disturbances such as wildfires, deforestation, are threatening some of the world's forest's ability to remain as carbon sinks. This is the case in what we're seeing in the Amazon, in Russia, parts of Russia's boreal forest. And that is a risk because it could change. These tropical forests, these boreal forests could become net sources of carbon. Now, according to the IPCC, there is no pathway, none, no pathway whatsoever to reaching net zero by 2050 without nature. We need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions to protect and enhance the capacity of nature to sequester carbon. We need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions as rapidly as possible. And we have to do this by protecting and enhancing our natural carbon sinks to protect our forests. And so when you ask, you know, what's the connection between the climate crisis and food and land use systems, it's this interplay. It's the fact that our current land and food systems are depleting our natural resources, contributing emissions to climate change. And we have a unique opportunity and we hope that COP will provide us with the unique opportunity to stop that, to protect our forests, to enhance remaining natural carbon sinks, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, ensuring that we can achieve a 1.5 degree future for all. So looking at the food and land use system as a whole, what are the specific opportunities and challenges that you can see? So as the world population grows, and, you know, we we talk a lot about the fact that we're going to have to feed 10 billion people by 2050, more food is traded than ever before. An estimated 80% of the world's population relies in some form on imports to meet their food and nutritional requirement, right? So trade is what sustains all of us. But currently there are 34 countries listed as food insecure, meaning that they rely on trade for nearly all of their food because of their own 
water and or land limitations. So trade and improving trade, uh, increasing growth in trade has a lot of benefits, right? It can contribute to falls in global hunger and malnutrition, but it also has social costs such as deforestation, air pollution, freshwater pollution, and many producers don't capture the full benefits of trade. The fact remains that our global long-term stability of our food system, our food security, relies on natural resources being managed responsibly today, and trade has a really critical role to play in achieving that. Now, the way that we produce and consume food today is extractive, it's challenging, it's, it's not great for our human health, and it's certainly not great for our environmental health. We actually know that it costs $12 trillion a year in damage to people and the planet. And if we do nothing, if we continue as business as usual, this will grow to $16 trillion a year of damage by 2050. This is problematic because we have 2 million people globally that don't have access to safe, nutritious, and sufficient food. So you have a problem of undernutrition, malnutrition, starvation, and hunger. But a third of all food that is produced is lost or wasted. And we also have, as we know in the global north, instances of obesity, of diabetes, because people are overconsuming food. So we have not enough in some areas and too much in other places. This is the problem. It costs us $12 trillion a year. A bunch of people don't have enough food. A bunch of people have too much food. What are we going to do about it? The point is, is that it's possible to tip the scales. There are remarkable opportunities. Transformation is going to look different from one country to a different country, from one community to the next community. But there is an opportunity to take a holistic approach of the transformation of the food and land use systems, where we combine the opportunities that are available in terms of nutritious food, nature-based solutions, shifts in supply and demand, and recognize that we have the ability to feed our population within the Earth's planetary boundaries, and in doing so, can contribute positively to climate change. So Morgan, given all of this, what are you actually looking for specifically at COP? It is critical, critical, critical that at COP26, countries include the food and land use sector in their new or their enhanced naturally determined contributions. You'll hear these called NDCs for short. We will not be able to achieve a 1.5 degree world if we don't urgently transform our global food and land use systems. And the NDCs provide the ratcheting mechanism to reduce greenhouse gas emissions leveraging our food and land use systems. The largest mitigation potential within natural climate solutions comes from protecting, restoring, and managing our forests and other ecosystems. Terrestrial natural climate solutions are going to play a critical role in not only reducing emissions, but also in removing emissions. They can deliver 30% of the total mitigation required by 2050 in a cost-effective and a politically feasible manner. The last thing that I want to say is that the UK government and its presidency of the COP has spearheaded a what's called the FACT Dialogues, the Forest, Agriculture, Commodity, and Trade Dialogues. And this is specifically looking to address deforestation linked to the trade of soft commodities. Now, we hope that at COP26 on Nature Day on the 6th of November, we are going to have 30 countries signing up to these FACT Dialogues. They have been working over the past 12 months to create a roadmap that would result in deforestation-free supply chains and trade. 
so that we can urgently halt deforestation, recognizing its contributions to the climate crisis. And that was Morgan Gillespie on why COP26 matters from the standpoint of food and land use. The other seven episodes in this series examine everything from why COP matters for energy, air quality, business and circular economy. We have been used to decoupling growth in energy use from CO2 emissions, and now we need to decouple our consumption patterns from rising CO2 emissions. And we can do that. There's many strategies. It's not just recycling. It's actually much more that we can do. There's plenty more on COP on our website, wri.org. And you can, of course, subscribe to our podcasts on all good podcast apps. I'm Nicholas Walton. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.